Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you here today. We want to welcome you to Temple Baptist Church once again, and thank you to all of you who are visiting with us today. We're glad that you are here, and I hope that you are, are going to, or have already, and will continue to receive a blessing for being here today. Um, today is a big day. Did you know that? Um, at least it's been a big day that I've been preparing for for quite some time. Um, today we're starting a new sermon series. Uh, you have a, a new recharge book available. I don't know if you picked it up out in the foyer before you walked in, but if you, if you didn't, you know what? David is walking back that direction. If somebody would like one of these, if you'll raise your hand, he will bring it to you in just a second. But I uh, wanted to just kind of give you a little bit of information about this recharge book, if you're unfamiliar with it. Each week of our sermon series has a couple of pages inside that you can take sermon notes on it. And it, so it has the, the title of the sermon, the date and the text and all of that good information. And then down here in the bottom right-hand corner, if you want one of these books, if you'll raise your hand, Brother David's got them now. All right. Um, down here in the bottom right-hand corner, there is a QR code on each of the sermon pages. That same QR code is in your bulletin. But if you have a desire to utilize the Uversion event, which is uh, in, uh, you know, on your cell phone, you can scan that QR code and it will take you to an interactive sermon notes uh, section in the Uversion Bible app. If you don't have the app, that's okay. It'll just take you to their website and you can use it there. Uh, but those are all there. The next page in your recharge book is going to be a, a page that you can utilize for your community groups. By the way, community groups start back today, this week. We've got uh, several groups that will be meeting this afternoon and this evening. We have a group that meets on Tuesday evening, a group that meets on Wednesday afternoon, and a group that meets on Thursday evening. And so if there is a time that you would like to be a part of that, we, we kind of cover the whole week with those. And so we want you to get involved. Now, you might say, well, I don't know. What, what's the group like? Well, they're like all different kinds of things. In fact, I lead two of the seven groups that we have, and they are so different, it's unbelievable. Um, but all of our groups are different. And so if you try one out and you don't like it, it's okay. We won't be offended. You can try a different one out, all right? And so if, for more information about that, you can see me after the service or our community pastor, Pastor John O'Connor, uh, will be around. You can find him and get some more information about that. The next three pages in your recharge book are designed for you to utilize in your daily disciplines, in your, in your daily quiet time with the Lord. And so week, or on day one of each week, there is a place to do a Bible reading and then a soap journal. And you may have no idea what a soap journal is. If that's the case, if you look in the very back of the book, there is a, a clear, simple explanation of what a soap journal is. It's basically an opportunity to read God's word and allow it to speak into your heart. And one of the things that that we emphasize so many times is Psalm 119, verse 18. Does anyone remember what that verse says? That's right. Open my eyes that I might see wonderful things from your law. 
I quoted this time from the voice translation in the front of your book, which says, let me see clearly so that I may take in the amazing things coming from your law. When we pray that prayer back to God before reading his word each day, his Holy Spirit promises to guide us into the truth that he has for us. And so as you pray that prayer, asking God to open your eyes, then you take that opportunity to read his word and see what he highlights in your mind and then follow those instructions for how to soap journal. That's day one of each week. Days two and three are simple inductive Bible studies. And the Bible studies that we'll be walking through these next uh, couple of months are based off of Romans chapter 6, 7, 8, and then verse, uh, chapter 12 as well. And that correlates with what you'll be reading for your soap journaling. And so I want to encourage you to, to get into these and spend some time uh, looking at uh, what it is that, that uh, God has for you, not just here on Sunday morning, but also what he has for you through community in a small group setting uh, throughout the week, as well as one-on-one -on -one with him in his word. Because, folks, this is the most important thing that you can have in your life. And praise the Lord that God gave us the Holy Spirit of God to indwell us and to guide us into the truth he has for us. Because otherwise, we would not be able to understand these words. And so I'm excited again, as I was saying earlier, this is a big day today. We're, we've got a lot of new things starting. And so I am glad that you are here and a part of this. Now, I'm not sure what television shows you, you personally like to watch, but most of the time around our house, if we have a television on, um, it's going to be one of two things. It's either going to be some sort of sporting event, usually football or baseball, uh, but some sort of sporting event, or it's going to be some sort of crime-solving show, okay? Uh, or a courtroom show, something like that. And you, for years, one of our favorites has been uh, the TV show NCIS. Uh, but way before that ever started, uh, our favorite show was a show called JAG. And you may not realize this, but that's where the 20 years of NCIS has come from, is from this show called JAG. Um, JAG stood for Judge Advocate General Corps, and it was a courtroom drama and set in the United States Navy and Marine Corps. Now, you know, as you watch these crime shows, you begin to learn some of the, the vernacular or the, the lingo that they use whenever they're in the courtroom. And so if you watch these shows, you've probably heard of things like habeas corpus and statue of limitations and affidavits and subpoenas and all of those things. And I hope those are the only times you've ever heard of those things. I hope you've not experienced that personally. But, you know, um, one of my favorite things in watching the show JAG was uh, when the defense attorney, Commander Harmon Rabb, 
would pull some unbelievable truth out of the witness that was sitting up there on the stand, which breaks the case wide open. And then Commander Rab would say these words to the judge. He would say, Your Honor, in light of this new evidence, I move that the charges against my client be dropped. And then the, the judge would uh, reply to him, Granted, this case is dismissed. And then you, you would hear the sound of the gavel. And a teary-eyed defendant would look up at Commander Rab and say, thank you, sir. I don't know what I would have done without you. I mean, this is kind of the storyline just about in all the episodes. Well, there's a phrase that I just used that's an important phrase for what we're going to be talking about today. And it's going to become the focus in all of our studies over the next 11 weeks. Well, what was that phrase that I used? In light of. In light of, you see, we're starting this new sermon series today, and the title of this series is, Therefore, Living in Light of Truth. Living in Light of Truth. This series is going to be walking through the text of the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. But to understand this text properly, uh, that we have to look at what all the previous chapters say and take those things into consideration. You see this expression in light of is often used to draw a conclusion based on previous statements. So if we are going to live in light of truth, we have to understand what that truth is so that we can take the, the practical application that we find in chapter 12 and live in light of that truth that we find in Romans 1 through 11. The Oxford English Dictionary defines this expression in light of as drawing knowledge or information from, taking something into consideration. And that's exactly what we want to do this morning. As we look at Romans chapter 12, we want to... Look at these practical conclusions that Paul is making based on the previous evidence or the previous statements he has made in Romans 1 through 11. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12 or again, it's in the YouVersion Bible app or you can read the words along with me on the screen. We're just going to be looking at two verses this morning. In fact, the chapter is only 21 verses long, and we're going to spend the next 11 weeks looking at those 21 verses. And so some weeks it'll be one or two, some weeks it may be three, um, but we'll be looking at Romans chapter 12 for, for the next 11 weeks. If you're looking at your Bible, say amen. All right, let's read Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good 
and acceptable and perfect. Now, our sermon outline today only has two points, but we will be looking at many subpoints as we go because our goal in this series is to examine this text not verse by verse or section by section, but our goal here is to look at this word by word. Uh, so I, I hope to take a deep dive each week and to discover the intended meaning for the original recipients of this letter so that we can then understand what God has for us today. Because we must always remember the Bible cannot mean what it never meant. So let's discover what is it that Paul's trying to say to this church at Rome here in this letter to the Romans. The first thing that I want us to notice is a reasonable response to God's mercies. Now, the title is, therefore, Be Peculiar, which, honestly, I don't talk a lot about this morning, or I will not be talking a lot about it, the word peculiar, because I think you all know what peculiar means, right? Um, it means different. It means be odd, really. It means not be like everyone else. Be peculiar. And for us to be peculiar is a reasonable response to the mercies of God. So let's break this verse down. Uh, in verse 1 it says, I appeal to you, therefore. Therefore. As I said last week, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you must determine what it is therefore. And so why is Paul saying, therefore, I'm appealing to you, brothers, why is he saying that? Well, basically what Paul is saying is, in light of all these truths, you see, he's saying, therefore, look back at everything I've just said. In light of everything that I've just said, all this stuff that I have shared with you so far in this letter, now it is time for you to respond to the Lord. So therefore, I appeal to you. So what are some of these truths that Paul has shared so far? Now, last week I tried to preach the book of Job and a large section of the books, book of 1 Kings. I'm not going to try to preach the whole book of uh, Romans this morning. We would be here until this evening. Um, but I think it is important to, to just take a, a moment and think about some of these things. Here is the challenge I would like to give to you, though. I would encourage you to sit down this afternoon or sometime before your community group this week and read Romans chapters 1 through 12. And you know, if you're reading 1 through 12, you might as well just read the whole book. It's 16 chapters. It'll take you about 35 minutes, maybe 40 minutes. If you don't read quickly, you can use one of the uh, Bible apps and you can listen uh, to them. And if you're really pressed for time, I don't know if you know this, but you can speed up the, how fast they read. Um, I always found that I'm not a fast reader, but the guy who reads the ESV in the YouVersion Bible app is, is very slow. And so I put it at 1.25 speed, and, and it gets me going, and I, I, you know, I, I like it better at that speed. I encourage you to take a moment to read this 
this uh, section. And what you're going to discover is there's a lot of stuff in the book of Romans. A lot of theology. In fact, some people will say that this is the most complete collection of Paul's theology that he, he gives us in the, all of his New Testament writings. Now, it, I don't think that was his purpose in writing all this. I think he was addressing certain issues for the church at Rome because he goes into greater detail on other issues and other books. But here we find some amazing truths, such as all people are sinners and need to be saved from their sins. Vital truth we find in chapters 1, 2, and 3. We also discover that Jesus is the only one who can remove that sin and overcome the power of that sin in our lives. We discover that salvation is provided through the righteousness of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus' death is the propitiation for our sins and it is necessary for salvation. We discover that justification is in Christ by faith alone. And salvation delivers us from the penalty of sin, while sanctification delivers us from the power of sin. And then we learn we can never go beyond the love and the mercy of God. Now, as I was going through some of those teachings from the first part of the book of Romans, you probably heard some very large words that you may or may not have understood. Things like propitiation and sanctification and, oh, I didn't say it, but regeneration and justification. And all of those words are theological terms, meaning that they describe a very specific thing that the Bible teaches. And if you are unfamiliar with those terms and you would like a very simple explanation of what they mean and how they apply to our lives, let me point you back to our website, to a sermon series I preached in 2017. Uh, it dealt with a lot of these theolo theological terms in a very practical manner. The sermon series was called Vintage Faith, um, and it walked through Romans chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. Now, some of you don't remember vintage faith and you don't remember those terms but some of you will remember that I used a different classic car to go with every topic does that ring a bell yeah yeah some of you, oh yeah I remember that it was actually quite fun when we when we talked about um oh which one was it oh the indwelling of the spirit of God I used a car that looked like the Ghostbusters mobile but anyway it was it was a fun series uh, so I encourage you to look at that because it's important to understand what we're looking back at. In light of all this truth that we find, how should we now live is what we're trying to discover. And that's the reason why in your community group studies this week, you're going to be given an opportunity to examine all of these previous chapters in the book of Romans a little more closely. And I hope that it will help you see clearly what the therefore is therefore. And that's also the reason 
I think it's so important that we made our studies in the recharge book focus in on Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. You see, you'll have this opportunity to focus on these texts and um, learn these things for yourselves because truth discovered is truth that is remembered. So when you can discover truth for yourself from reading God's word, it's going to stick in your brain way better than just hearing me talk about it. So I encourage you, pick up one of these books and spend some time. Utilize it in your, your spiritual disciplines, your sacred rhythms that you have each and every day. So Paul says, therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. This, this phrase, I appeal to you, in the King James Version, uh, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers. Uh, it's always translated as beseech in the King James, and it carries this idea of, of pleading or begging. Now, according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, the idea behind this word would be best understood to admonish someone or to exhort someone. Okay? So, an admonition. He is admonishing them by the mercies of God to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. So, as it says, he appeals to them. It's really this idea of I am urging you. In fact, the Greek word that was translated here as appeal in chapter 12, verse 1, is most commonly translated throughout the New Testament as urge. I urge you. And so what is he urging them? What is he appealing to them to do? He, he says, I am urging you, I'm appealing to you, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Well, let's think about this idea of the mercies of God for just a moment. You know, anytime you're understanding a text, you must understand a text within its immediate context. And so as we look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, this is a section in the scripture. And so what we have to do is we have to look at the, the section on the front side and the back side of the section we're studying. So if our text is 1 and 2, our immediate context would begin in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, and go through Romans chapter 12, verse 8. And so everything that we're looking at must fit what the immediate context says. And then beyond that, we must look at the next larger context, to the point of looking at the whole book and to the whole New Testament and the whole Bible. Because the Bible will never contradict itself. Amen? And so we must understand a text within its context. Well, what does the context here tell us about? Well, in the greater context of Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, Paul talks a lot about God's mercy. In fact, this concept of mercy is talked about eight different times in Romans 9, 10, and 11. But notice in the immediate context, Romans chapter 11, verse 30, what the Bible says. Paul says in Romans eleven thirty, for just as you were, were at one time disobedient to God, 
but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too now have been now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Did you see that? Four times in those three verses, it's talking about the mercy of God. And what's the most important thing that we can see there? Because of our sin, God has chosen to offer mercy to every single one of us. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so now Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Because God is offering us this mercy. He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Let's look at that. What does it mean to present your bodies as a sacrifice? This is not the first time that Paul tells us to sacrifice for the Lord. In fact, if you go back just a couple of pages in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteous, unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Then in verse 19, he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. It's always nice when Paul tells us, I'm talking to you because you're kind of stupid. But that's basically what he's saying. I'm speaking to you in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Now when we read this, there is a big difference between Romans chapter 6 and this presenting or offering our members to God and Romans chapter 12, which says to present our bodies to God. You see, members refers to our limbs or our, the parts of our bodies. But here in 12 verse 1, it says that the sacrifice is the body in its wholeness not just its individual elements. In Romans chapter 6, God is saying, do not let sin reign in your life any longer. Do not let the members of your body commit sin or do things to unrighteousness. Do you remember that old song that we used to sing as kids? I don't know if they still sing it or not, but... The, the song that says, oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Those are the members of our body. And as we are trying to, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, overcome the power of sin in our lives, we must allow the Holy Spirit to take control of our members but here here in Romans 12 verse 1 he's no longer talking about members 
He is challenging us to give all of ourselves to him. Now, you may or may not realize this. If you write down in your Bibles um, the, the different uh, texts that I preach from, uh, you may realize that this is not the first time I have preached from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 here at Temple Baptist Church. In fact, I think it is the first time ever I have repeated a passage. Um, now, I've quoted from passages multiple times, of course, but as the main text, I think it's the first time. And, and way back, I think in 2016, I was preaching a, a message about worship and, and talked about how, how this was a part of worship. And, and I shared an illustration at that time, and I was debating whether I should share it today, but I really feel like I, I should now. Um, it's a story about um, a pig and a chicken going to church and listening to a sermon from a preacher. All right? A real spiritual story here. So the, the pig and the chicken go to the church. They, they hear the sermon of the preacher, and the preacher is calling them to make a commitment to the Lord. And so they leave the church, and as all good church members should do, they continue to think about this as they went away from church. Okay? And so the chicken all of a sudden had a light bulb moment. He said, I know. I know what we can do to to be more committed to the Lord. And the pig looked at him and said, okay, what? He said, we can feed the poor. God loves it when we take care of the poor and the needy. And the pig said, sounds great. What are we going to feed them? How about bacon and eggs? <laughs> he said, sounds like a good thing, but I want you to realize that is a... That is a commitment on your part, but that is a, a whole commitment on my part. You see, folks, the commitment that God's talking about here in Romans 12.1 is a complete, whole commitment where we offer our bodies, not just our members, but every aspect of who we are, mind, soul, spirit, body, everything we are offering to the Lord. Now the interesting thing as we think about this is presenting your bodies as a sacrifice. All ancient religions required some sort of blood sacrifice in their worship. I, I'm unaware of any that didn't. If you, if you come up with one, I will recant but everyone that I know of, of ancient religions, there was some sort of blood sacrifice, usually of animals, sometimes in pagan religions, even human sacrifice. And that was what made Christianity so different, is because Christ came in and did away with the sacrificial system. He became our sacrifice, and, and so they no longer had to offer sacrifices because he was the ultimate sacrifice. No other sacrifice was needed. And so now Paul comes back and uses this ritual or cultic language and says that we should offer ourselves as a sacrifice. But you see, the sacrifice that God is now asking his children to 
to make is very different from the sacrifice they made before. Because, folks, this is a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. By calling us to be a living sacrifice, God is asking us to crucify our passions and our desires on a daily basis. And then choose a sacrifice which consists in the quality of daily living, a constant dedication to Him, we must choose to make that our sacrifice. It is a, a living sacrifice. James Dunn, a commentator, explained it this way. He said, the thought of sacrifice has been tra transposed across a double line <laughs> from cultic ritual to everyday life. From a previous epoch characterized by daily offerings of animals to one characterized by a whole person, commitment, lived out daily in existence. The problem, to quote my favorite philosopher, Donnie Parrish, the problem with living sacrifices is that they keep crawling off the altar. I'm going to let that sink for a minute. <laughs> Isn't it true, though? The problem with living sacrifices is that we keep crawling off the altar. And that's why it's so important that this is a daily commitment. Our whole being being offered up to God daily. That's why Jesus said in Luke 9, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We are to be living sacrifices. But you know what else? We are to be holy sacrifices also. Holy means set apart. Specifically set apart unto God. That is the purpose of a sacrifice. And by referring to this living sacrifice as holy. Paul is maintaining the cultural concept of a sacrifice while making it clear that the sacrifice must completely belong to the Lord. It is a living sacrifice. It is a holy sacrifice. And it is a sacrifice that is acceptable to God. Now this final description of the kind of sacrifice we're to offer. Has a different undertone than what, how we understand it today. You see, acceptable does not necessarily have a positive connotation in our culture. Because when we think of something that is acceptable, it is usually the fourth level of quality choice in our options. You see, when we buy on Amazon, we have the option of buying new. Or we can buy used. But if we buy used, do you know how it says, how it describes them? Used like new, or used that's good, or used that's acceptable. You see, our concept of acceptable is not what the Bible is teaching us about acceptable. This word acceptable is a compound word. And the two words that go together to make this word acceptable, one of them means pleasing and the other means well or good. So if we had to put it on that rating, 
Acceptable means new or not like new, not just acceptable. You see, this was something that was pleasing to the Lord. Not just acceptable, not in our minds anyway, but pleasing. Not just pleasing, but well-pleasing to the Lord. You see, when we choose to be living sacrifices for the Lord, it does not just please Him, it is well-pleasing to Him. He is blessed when we offer ourselves to Him. So it is a living, holy, and well-pleasing sacrifice. And then he finishes this verse by saying, which is your spiritual worship. Now this last phrase in verse 1 is varied in its translation in Bibles today. Uh, You probably have seen it in multiple different ways. The ESV (coughs) says that this is your spiritual worship. The King James, as Brother David uh, mentioned earlier, he prefers that when it says it is your reasonable service. The 1984 version of the NIV says that it is your spiritual act of worship. The new NIV says that it is your true and proper worship. But the best translation of this, by far, in my opinion, is not in any of those I've just mentioned. The best translation is from the Amplified Bible. Now, do you know what the Amplified Bible is? It gives you all kinds of different extra stuff in there. And the problem with this concept that we find here at the end of verse 1 is there's no clear and simple translation directly from the Greek into English in just a couple of words. And so the Amplified Bible says this, It is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. (laughs) Just wrap it all up into one and there you go. But folks, that's the idea. That's why translators have had such a hard time with it is because it has different nuances of meaning. And so which do you choose? Well, that's the blessing of the Amplified. They just check D, all of the above, you know. It is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. To just consider one of these options or the other does not do this verse justice. You see, the word used to describe our worship or our service at the end of verse 1 is a favorite expression of Greek philosophical thought, especially Stoic philosophical thought in the sense of belonging to reason or it was a rational idea and the interesting thing that I find here is that the the Greek Stoics use this phrase to distinguish human beings and the way that they think and the way that they process things that they are different from the animals we're different from the animals why because we have rational thought we have reason as I was thinking about this I thought you know that that's pretty special to think about because Romans 1 verses 19 and 20 tell us that the the glory of God is seen 
in all of creation. And people know that God exists because of what they see in nature. The psalmist in Psalm 19.1 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. God is glorified by everything. But God wants us to glorify him. To worship and serve him because of our rational thought. That's what he doesn't have in all of creation. All of creation praises him, but they were created to do so. We must choose to do so. Isn't that special? He wants us to worship him. Our worship of God is different. It is rational. It belongs to reason. And it is expressed through our mind, our body, our soul, our spirit. In the context of everyday living. So we must present our bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and acceptable to God. Which is our reasonable service and our spiritual act of worship. When we do so, when we live our lives in that way, it will be well-pleasing to him. That's what Paul is admonishing us or exhorting us to do when he says, I appeal to you, brothers. It is a reasonable response to the mercies of God. Well, let's keep moving forward. <laughs> that was point number one. I told you it had a lot of subpoints this morning. Point number two is a radical response to God's will and God's word. A radical response to God's will and God's word. Again, reading in verse 2 of Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? Now, I am not unaware. Notice the double negative there. I am not unaware of the, the time and the length of time I have been speaking this morning. So point number two will be shorter than point number one. What do we see here first? He tells us, do not be conformed to this world's this world you see folks our lives should not follow the pattern of this present age paul tells us to recognize and reject the pattern of thinking feeling and behaving that characterizes the world that we live in we must recognize and reject the pattern of thinking feeling and behaving and we must embrace God's will for our character and for our life do not be conformed to this world but be transformed now here this word be transformed uh, even though it says you know I mean we read it in English and that's how we understand it right do not be conformed but be transformed. But in the original language, that first phrase there, do not be conformed, is an imperative. 
He's saying, don't do it. Don't be conformed. But that second phrase, but be transformed, is a passive form of the verb. You see, folks, here's what we need to understand. We cannot transform ourselves. We cannot transform ourselves. We can, and we are commanded to make a decision to not conform to the world. But we must allow the Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of his Holy Spirit, to transform our hearts, our minds, our lives. It's a passive form. And that indicates a recognition of power or of a force which molds our character and conduct. But you know what? Here's something else I think we need to realize about this. Paul is recognizing the fact that the world has power to transform us too. And the, it's actually a much easier process for the world to transform us because our sin nature already is trying to fall in line. And so when we conform to the world, when we conform to the power of the social groups that we're a part of, when we conform to the cultural norms or the institutions or the traditions when they mold the pattern of our behavior, that's when we are conforming ourselves to the world. But Paul says, don't do it, but allow the Spirit to transform you instead. Conform refers to a posture or attitude that may be changed at will. But Form, which is the heart of the word we get transformed from, refers to what grows out of necessity from an inward condition. Let me unpack that just a little bit, folks. You can choose of your own volition to be conformed to the world. You can make that call. You can decide, I'm going to be like everybody else at work because I don't want to stick out. I don't want to be peculiar. I just want to be in the background. You can, you can make a decision to act like everybody else at school. I did that. Eighth grade, ninth grade. If you'd walked out on the football field or at football practice... I was using the same words with the same attitudes as everybody else out there. It wasn't a hard decision. I just did what they did. That was my choice. But notice what that definition, this is, this is again from James Dunn. He said, but the word form, that is the heart of the word transform, refers to what grows out of necessity from an inward condition. What's he saying? Well, Paul put it this way. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What? In Christ, we are a new creation. 
the change in us manifests itself as transforming us to be different, to be peculiar, to not be like the rest of the world. And so he says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. How is he going to do it? Because, folks, this is not mere behavior modification. This is transformation. How is God going to make that happen? Fortunately, Paul tells us, by the renewal of your mind. I've talked to you before, and I don't have time to talk to you about it right now, but the neuroplasticity of the brain is an amazing thing that God created in each and every individual. The neurons in your brain understand what is important in your mind. And as you think on things, the brain prioritizes those things. The more you think about it, the more it makes it more easily accessible. Uh, one teacher I've had refers to it as, as you think about certain things, God will create super highways to get back to that. Super highways in your mind. Right now, if you're not thinking on godly things, if you're not spending time in God's word on a daily basis, then the road to get to those ideas in your brain is a dirt road with potholes. And it's hard to get there. But the more you think about it, the, the brain does road work. And their road construction takes a while, just like anyone else's. But over time, that pathway to get to those godly thoughts and to bring about that godly character gets more and more accessible. That is the process of the renewing of our minds. I'm way over time this morning. I knew it was going to happen, but um, you know, you would think if if I'm only preaching on two verses instead of two books plus 18 other verses, I could get through faster. But you know, it is what it is. Let me hustle through these last couple of phrases. It says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God." I love Colossians chapter 1. Uh, if you want to turn to that real quickly, it's just a, it's an amazing little passage. It's something that I have asked people to pray uh, for me at different times. But in Colossians chapter 1, Paul tells them that I've been praying this for you, asking that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and in increasing in the knowledge of God. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God. That's what Paul is praying for here in Colossians chapter 1. That we would understand with, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding what God's will is for our lives. But it's not just to know it, folks. It's to do it. 
so as to walk in a manner that is worthy of him, fully pleasing, bearing fruit. These are actions that happen as a result of obedience. When we discern the will of God, we are obeying the will of God. And as a result, the will of God becomes that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And by the way, the word perfect there could just as easily, if not be you know, referred to as perfect, it's more an idea of complete. So that last phrase, what is good and acceptable and complete? God wants our lives to be good and acceptable and complete. That is a radical response to God's will and to God's word. And it is through God's word that these things happen. It is through the, the work of the Holy Spirit in God's word in our hearts and minds that our minds are renewed. And when our minds are renewed, we understand the will of God. And when we understand it and our hearts are renewed, then we obey it. And then it is good and acceptable and we become complete. Fully mature is the way Ephesians 4 talks about that same concept of perfect or complete. Folks, that is what God wants of us. Earlier, we sang a song. And the chorus of that song says, O Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to thee. For thou in thine atonement... In other words, the price that Jesus paid on the cross, the atoning uh, blood of Jesus Christ that covers our sins. For thou in thine atonement didst give thyself for me. I own no other master. My heart shall be thy throne. My life I give. Henceforth to live. O Christ, for thee alone. Day by day, we offer our lives as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God, because that's just a reasonable response, folks. For all that he's done for us, it's just a reasonable response for us to worship him in that way. And so we do not allow ourselves to be conformed to this world, but we allow the Holy Spirit of God to transform us by renewing our minds through the Word, through His Spirit, so that we can know God's will and that we can live a life that is good, acceptable, pleasing, and complete for Him. I wonder today, are you willing to do that? It is a process. We talk about it all the time. Sanctification is a process. Renewing of your mind is a process. But it always starts with one step. You can never... I mean, what's the old saying? I know it's cliche, but cliche is often true. The journey of a thousand steps begins with one. 
Will you do that today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. And Lord, I just thank you for the amazing truth of your word. Thank you for all that you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ, and, and his atonement for our sins that purchased a place for us with you for eternity. And Father, now as we seek to serve you with our lives, as we seek to worship you with our lives, Father, I just pray that all that we do, all that we say will bring honor and glory to you. Lord, if there are some here today that are not living their lives the way they know they ought to be, I just pray, Father, that you would help them to take that first step in this journey and present their bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you today, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.